The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Hello, everybody. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, to tonight's webinar. Um, my name is Linda Doyle and I have the great pleasure of hosting Sonic Spaces Sound and Technology uh, this evening. Um, we have a fantastic lineup. Um, I'm going to introduce um, our lineup uh, briefly um, before we start the talks. Uh, and before I do that, um, I should say that Jennifer O'Mara is the kind of brainchild of all of this. And it's thanks to her that we have such an interesting panel uh, this evening. So um, first on the panel will be Enda Bates. I, I know Enda well from engineering. Enda is a composer, musician, producer, and he's the deputy director of the Music and Media Technologies Programme here in Trinity. Um, his current research interests include spatial audio for VR, AR, AR and 360 um, video, spatial music composition and performance, the aesthetics of electroacoustic music, and the augmented electric guitar. So a really uh, fantastic wide range of interests um, he is a founder of the Spatial Music Collective and an active composer, um, performer and producer, um, both of his own work and with the spook of the 13th block, Connor Walsh and others. So I think Enda has just a fantastic mix of, uh, I suppose, artistic and uh, technology knowledge. So I look forward to his talk. Um, the second person we have uh, is Zainab Bullet. Uh, Zainab is here with us. You might give a little wave. <laughs> I think people can see your name probably. Uh, so Zainab is a, a lecturer in music at Queen's University Belfast. Her research interests include voice and sound studies, experimental music, sound and media art, technologies of hearing and speech, deaf performance and culture, and music and medicine. Her articles have appeared in various volumes and journals, including Perspectives on New Music, Postmodern Culture and Music and Politics. Um, her composer profile has been featured by British Music Collection, and she's currently completing her first manuscript titled Building a Voice, Sound Surface Skin. She is a sound review editor for Sound Studies, an interdisciplinary journal and project lead for her collaborative research initiative, Map of Voice. And we're going to hear something from that as well about that today. So I'm really looking forward to that. And you're very, very welcome. Um, then we have um, Mattia Kobinacci, an acoustic engineer and a PhD student in sonic arts at Goldsmiths University of London. So we're delighted to have Mattia here. So Mattia, after a master degree in electronic engineering, lots of engineers around, I'm one too, I have to admit, um, <laughs> in 2005 in Italy, he has worked for many transducer manufacturers, mainly for the professional audio market with a focus on finite element modeling. And in 2013, he moved to the UK to join the R&D team of Bowers and Wilkins. So a very interesting past. Um, He's recently worked together with uh, uh, three other researchers on the creation of the London Street Noises website, a soundscape time machine that makes publicly available the first ever field recordings of London soundscape. And we're going to hear uh, about that this evening. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. I think it's a very, very intriguing project. And then finally, back to Trinity again, we have uh, Nasa Nikiron. Uh, she's an Usher Assistant Professor in Trinity Centre for Language and Communication Studies. Her research focuses on the development of speech and language technology for Irish, particularly on Irish language synth synthetic voices as part of the Aber Initiative, which is a fantastic um, uh, initiative in the phonetics and speech lab. 
Um, so um, it's brilliant to have NASA, NASA here, um, as well as working on the development of the underpinning linguistic resources needed for synthesis. Her research focuses on exploring the application of speech and language technology in computer assisted language learning context. So that's really, really interesting as well. So I think what we're about to hear is a really interesting mix of people who come to sound and technology from all sorts of different angles. Um, so uh, at that, I'm going to hand over to Enda. Okay, um, many thanks, uh, Linda, for that kind introduction. Uh, let me just share my screen here and get this uh, up and running. Uh, okay, so um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about um, spatial audio, spatial music, and uh, virtual augmented reality. Um, so let's just kind of uh, dive, dive right in. So if we think about our everyday hearing and how we perceive the world around us um, through sound, our ability to hear space is a really a critically important aspect of our perception. Uh, if you think about your everyday experience, uh, let's imagine, for example, you're walking down the street, you'll be able to hear the sound of cars passing uh, to, your, to your side. You might be able to hear the sounds of birds and trees overhead or the sound of a distant airplane overhead. And you might hear other pedestrians and voices in front of you and behind you. Uh, and all of this uh, ability to hear spatially, to hear sounds coming from different directions and different distances is a really important aspect of our perception, but perhaps one that we don't often think about uh, consciously. And this ability to hear spatially, uh, it uh, provides us with a sense of immersion in the real world that, that surrounds us all the time. But equally, very importantly, it also tells us about things that are happening outside of our current field of view. So you can imagine, for example, what happens when you suddenly hear a loud sound behind you? Well, you instantly turn around to look in that direction. Uh, because spatial hearing, of course, is omnidirectional. We hear sounds from every direction. And so it tells us where to look uh, with our vision uh, as well. So spatial hearing, really, really important. And when we talk about spatial audio, then we really just mean a whole wide range of audio techniques that allow us to reproduce this form of uh, spatial hearing. And this could be done through multiple loudspeakers that we place around the listener uh, or indeed through, through headphones. And spatial audio has been around for a long time. Um, perhaps the one we are all most familiar with is a cinema surround sound, uh, which of course we hear every time we go to cinema and potentially in your homes as well. But we also find spatial audio uh, in multiple other applications, uh, including gaming is a really important one, um, theater occasionally too, and music and art installations frequently use um, spatial audio. Uh, and of course, uh, these new immersive mediums, which are just kind of emerging now of virtual reality, uh, augmented reality and 360 video. So uh, George Lucas is reported to once have said about cinema that sound is half the picture, um, but in VR, sound is literally more than half the picture. Um, sound provides us a sense of immersion within the scene. And of course, this is true whether it's the real world that surrounds us uh, or a virtual scene that's created using a head-mounted display and a pair of headphones. Um, so again, spatial audio really helps to sell the illusion of virtual reality that you're really in this virtual scene and not just sitting on a chair with a headset um, strapped, strapped to your face. Uh, 
Um, but equally importantly, spatial audio uh, in VR, again, tells us about what's happening outside of our current field of view. And this is particularly important when we're trying to tell a story or we have a narrative that we're presenting uh, in VR. Because of course, in VR, you never know where the person is actually looking. And if there's something really important in the scene that you want them to look at, well, again, by playing a sound associated with that object from a particular direction, again, allows us to guide the attention of the viewer and make them look in the directions we want them to look in. So again, unlike maybe cinema, spatial audio is actually a critically functionally important aspect of VR. Uh, with film, we can watch a, a movie at home just with stereo sound and it still works. But in VR, uh, we absolutely need spatial audio. It's a required aspect of, of the medium. So my own interest in spatial audio actually arrived via music, or more specifically spatial music, which is actually a very old art form. Uh, if you think of the call and response, which we find in many different cultures and many different musics, um, you can consider this as a, a prototype form of uh, spatial music, because of course we have a call and we have a response from from a different spatial location. Uh, and beginning in the Renaissance then, in places like St. Mark's Cathedral in Venice, this call and response form started to become more elaborate. Uh, composers like the Gabrielli's started to make use of the fact that St. Mark's has two choir lofts uh, situated on either side of the altar. So this allowed composers then to write music for two choirs, uh, initially just with a very simple call and response dialogue, but then gradually they started to have more elaborate forms, uh, echo effects, and a more elaborate kind of dialogue between the two choirs. Uh, and this became very popular. It was the, the trendy music of the Renaissance in, in many ways. Uh, and other composers uh, around Europe started to elaborate this even further. Um, so people like Thomas Tallis, the English composer, uh, composed works such as um, Spemenalium in the 16th century. And this was a 40-part mot uh, motet uh, for 40 singers arranged in eight different choirs uh, placed around, around the audience. Um, so it got much more more uh, elaborate in that sense. In the 20th and 21st century, then, of course, we saw the emergence of uh, audio recording and playback technology, uh, as well as electronic music. And so at this point, things got very interesting in terms of spatial music, and they got a little bit weird as well. Uh, we had a lot of avant-garde composers doing very interesting experiments with multiple orchestras played around the concert hall, or experiments with domes of loudspeakers and having electronic sounds uh, fly around the space uh, in really, really highly elaborate forms of spatial, spatial music. So the Trinity 360 project then was something that I initiated um, about six or seven years ago now uh, in order to investigate how we can use these new immersive mediums such as 360 video and VR to capture and reproduce uh, performances of um, spatial music. And so the project to date has involved uh, uh, about seven or eight different musical performances um, using uh, choirs and the Trinity Orchestra, uh, saxophone, uh, quintet, uh, and a, a number of other um, uh, ensembles uh, performing spatial music pieces, uh, which are then filmed as 360 video uh, with matching spatial audio. Uh, and this included that piece by Thomas Tallis, Spemenalium, which I mentioned before. Uh, that was one of the most recent videos, which we did with New Dublin Voices Choir, uh, performed in the Beckett Theatre in Trinity, uh, and then captured as a 360 video with uh, matching spatial audio. Um, and this is an interesting kind of process, because if you 
you think about traditional performances where the musicians are on stage, there really isn't much point shooting that as a 360 video because all of the um, area of interest is to the front. Uh, and so there's no real reason to shoot with 360 video in that uh, context. However, spatial music performances where the musicians are distributed all around the scene, they really give you a motivation and a reason to shoot in 360. And in many respects, this type of music is ideally suited uh, to this very, very uh, new uh, medium. So um, we've released a number of um, 360 videos to date. Um, these are all available on uh, YouTube as 360 videos, which you can look at uh, using a VR headset if you have one, or alternatively uh, using your smartphone and the YouTube app, you can uh, look at the scene and look around the scene uh, by moving your camera around. Or alternatively, just on a desktop computer, you can look at the video and just click and drag on the screen to manually uh, look around the scene. Uh, and again, if you listen on headphones, you will hear spatial audio so quite different from normal audio that we hear through headphones. Um, right now, for example, you're probably hearing my voice inside your head if you're listening on headphones, whereas with spatial audio, you'll hear the sounds uh, externalized in that way. So we might just look now at a little excerpt from one of these videos. This is um, a clip of a piece called Broken Unbroken, composed by myself and performed by Nick Roth and the Q saxophone um, uh, quintet. Um, so we'll just have a quick listen to this Okay, so um, apart from that, there's a lot of other research going on in Trinity in the music technologies program and the various other research groups uh, on spatial audio and how we produce audio for these new immersive mediums such as VR uh, and AR. Uh, and I realize I'm pretty much out of time, so uh, I might leave it there. Um, thanks you all. Thank you all for your time. Um could I just interrupt for one minute before just to uh, encourage people to use the Q&A? I forgot to mention that earlier. And just to let people know we're taking questions at the end. So I see Matt has already put in a question and we will come to it at the end. So uh, apologies there, Zainab, for interrupting for a second.
Can you all see my screen? Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Okay. First of all, I would like to thank uh, Jennifer for this kind invitation. I'm delighted to meet all of you and join you all. And thank you, Linda, for, uh, for this warm introduction. So I'm, uh, my name is Zeynep. I'm a lecturer in music at Queen's University, Belfast. And today I'll talk about a collaborative research initiative called Mappa Voice. Um, so I'll begin uh, with a very basic question. What is Mappa Voice? Uh, it's, uh, it's a collaborative research initiative, uh, which I started at King's College London when I was an early career lecturer at King's College London back in 2016. And the project was awarded the Cultural Institute's uh, Collaborative uh, Research Innovation Grant for early career researchers, uh, which gave us the opportunity uh, to collaborate with um, a great group of people. And I will mention all the names uh, briefly. So uh, the project um, explores sonic and social interactions between uh, human voice and physical and cultural environment. I was really interested in the question of whether we could amplify the resonances between sounds of the voice and the concrete sounds, environmental sounds that we hear. Uh, you can think about it as a, you can think about uh, this idea in terms of the interactions between speech and non-speech sounds as well. Uh, in my own work, I uh, explore nonverbal modalities uh, of communication inspired by experimental music practices, uh, interactive media art, and sound art. So uh, this, this query, actually, this question is very much situated in, in my broader research. So we have been holding interactive workshops uh, in light of this question, and uh, we have been interacting with the Cultural Institute and Department of Music at King's College London, especially when I was a lecturer there in 2016, um, and uh, Department of Media and Computing at Goldsmiths. Um, and record mix at Goldsmiths University of London uh, really supported our project between 2016 and 2017 as well. And right now the project is being hosted uh, at the Department of Music and Sonic Arts Research Center at Queen's University Belfast. So our project team includes a lot of great people. Uh, I have been consulting with Professor Atal Tanaka regarding this project and uh, related uh, ideas. And uh, we had a great group of people, as you, as you see. Um, and I would like to also mention uh, Sheila Urbanowski, who uh, actually gave us the idea for the first workshop. And we're still building on that idea. So I would like to note her name as well. And uh, I know that in the description uh, of the event, uh, we used the word autocomposer code. Uh, my colleague, uh, Dr. Kurt James Werner, uh, he designed all of the autocomposer code. Uh, auto Composer code. Uh, so I would like to mention his name as well. Other than that, you see a great group of people uh, from Queen's University, uh, from Goldsmiths, and um, as independent artists as well. So there are some historical and conceptual uh, references that I would like to note in relation to this project. Um, experimental music practices, if you're familiar with, for instance, Alvin Lucier's uh, landmark piece, I'm Sitting in a Room, uh, which dissolves um, the text into phonemes, into speech sounds, and speech sounds into resonant frequencies using two tape recorders. It's, it's, a, it's a compression of the speech, but also it's a decompression of the speech as well. 
and pulling all the viruses, sonic meditations and deep listening meditations also point to uh, multimodal interactions uh, between uh, between voice and environment. So I take great inspiration from sonic meditations and deep listening meditations as well. But we can also think about the use of non-linguistic and non-verbal voice in 20th and 21st century contemporary vocal music, because often what we hear um, also is atomic units of language or non-verbal vocalizations, uh, which make us uh, consider an expanded conception of voice and speech. Um, sound and multimedia works uh, are very uh, important to note as well, because they also point to the interactions between voice and environment. They facilitate different possibilities of hearing and listening and engaging with physical and cultural environment. And in so doing, they also give us the opportunity to think about how we embody these sounds and perhaps how we manifest them as our voice or as our expression. And I also would like to note sound art and interactive media art. Pamela Z, for instance, works with language voice in a similar fashion. And Susan Phillips, if, if, if you're familiar uh, with her installations, she is interested in distributing voice in public spaces. And also Rafael Lozana Hammer, uh, electronic artist, he also works with distributed forms of voice uh, in public spaces as well. So all of these references, I think, play into our conception of MAPA voice. Some research questions uh, that we ask um, include, how can we amplify and draw attention to the sonic interactions between so-called speech and non-speech sounds, between the sounds of voice and the concrete sounds of environment? If forms, uh, if forms of speech or what speaks are not limited to human body, mediums for verbal language or auditory limits of hearing or normative limits of hearing, in what other forms can one speak with a physical and cultural environment? How can we spatially distribute uh, such a speech and what may be the social implications of the distributed voice and speech. These are loaded uh, questions, but I'm hoping that um, they will evoke uh, some further considerations and maybe we can talk about them uh, during the Q&A, during the discussion, if you want to make a note of any of them. So I would like to briefly uh, mention uh, the workshops. We, uh, to date, uh, we held uh, four workshops. The first workshop took place in the Anatomy Museum at King's College London uh, back in January 2017. And we worked with uh, one sentence, I think, which is a timeless, but also a timely sentence, what keeps us together. So uh, the, the basic guidelines included um, the following. We asked our participants to use uh, their smartphones and I recorded uh, 14 to 16 audio clips, uh, vocalizations, based on the phonemes of the sentence, what keeps us together. And then we assign each audio clip, each vocalization to a QR code, and that was Sheila's suggestion. And I think it was a great suggestion to work the physical space and see what we can do with it. Then we printed the QR codes uh, on transparencies and placed them in the workshop space. We offered a room map, but that was kind of a, uh, approximate map, which displayed the distribution of the phonemes in the workshop space. Uh, but we also encouraged uh, our uh, audience, our participants to explore the QR codes in different orders. So we didn't necessarily instruct them to follow a particular order. 
Each QR code um, contained one audio clip and we asked participants first to retrieve the audio clip using a barcode scanner application available to them, uh, provided by their phones, and then listen to the recording as a point of reference or inspiration record their own version of the phoneme that they hear using their phones, and then send their recordings via email using their phones. So that was a, a simple way of repurposing existing uh, smartphone applications and um, facilitating um, an exploration of the physical space um, and also everyday technology because uh, people do not necessarily use their smartphones in that way. So that was an opportunity for them uh, to perhaps interact with their smartphones almost like a musical instrument. And then uh, we put these uh, different audio clips together. We reassembled them and we tried to play them back. However, we had a difficulty uh, to do it manually. So in the second workshop uh, with my colleague, uh, Kurt James Berners, uh, contribution, we used an auto-composer code. Um, the second workshop took place at Cornell University as part of uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Marianti Papalexandri Alexandri's composition class, Shaping Sound. And I want to note that this composition class was not simply devised for um, composition students. So it's, it's, a, it's an open class. And for us, it was a great opportunity to interact with both music and um, music students and other students coming from different disciplines. So in this workshop, we actually used the um, auto-composer code. And what we did, what we did, uh, we worked with Python and uh, we thought about different spacings. For instance, how can we reassemble uh, voices um, nine seconds apart, four seconds apart, one second apart. Uh, it's, a, it's an in interesting experiment. Uh, to, to follow, I think, because it's really, it becomes really interesting to hear your own voice um, in the presence of other voices, for instance. But also we use musical instruments. We put the QR codes um, on percussion instruments, uh, the piano. Uh, so that also generated different uh, sonic explorations for students. Um, and because of the auto-composer code, we were able to reassemble uh, the voices and play them back immediately and listen to them and share some feedback. So the, the third workshop uh, was a combined, a joint workshop developed in collaboration with, uh, with my colleagues from Queen's University, uh, Belfast, with Dr. John Darcy. And it was a combination of uh, ways of hearing and mapping a voice. So uh, this is not a straightforward map a voice project, but uh, with John's contribution, we had a chance to uh, explore um, hearing with speech in different architectural sp space and environments. For instance, how does the distortion of amplification technologies affect individual experiences of voice? If our um, ways of hearing are manipulated in certain ways, how would that affect uh, our speech and our interaction with other sounds happening in an environmental spot? And the last workshop, again, um, workshop four took place at Research Center. Uh, this time we had a chance to reconfigure uh, the, the space and uh, we follow the basic uh, workshop, workshop guidelines, uh, but this time we also worked with different um, auto-composer codes. 
uh, with different compositional strategies. The parameters varied. Uh, we also we, we thought about uh, spacing and time parameters, but also we thought about, um, for instance, putting the same phonemes uh, in a different order or in the same order, or we explored more random distribution using autocomposer code. And we had uh, interesting results. And because of the autocomposition, we were able to uh, we were able to uh, play uh, the reassembled voices, uh, play them back, and share feedback again. Uh, this time, we also used uh, MATLAB, another program. Um, so that also uh, gave us another um, idea about how we could experiment reassembling voices. So I would like to play uh, a short clip, very short clip. And if you wish to listen uh, to the audio documentations of um, uh, other audio documentations from other workshops, you can go uh, to our website, mapavoice.co.uk, and you can you can see the first three workshops audio documentation, and you can find more detailed information about the questions that we ask and, and find more images. So I'm going to play a little excerpt from the very last workshop. So this is still um, a project in progress and we would very much appreciate uh, your feedback and your thoughts on it, but I think it may be perhaps wise to go back to the research questions as I'm concluding uh, my presentation for today. Uh, the bottom line of this project, I think, is to explore um, how, how we can expand on the conceptions of voice, uh, what speaks, uh, forms of speech, and uh, conceptions of speech as well. And this, uh, when I, whenever I present uh, this project, um, it always, um, inspires people about the possibility of um, locating voice in relation to urban noises, in relation to environmental sounds. Uh, but also, I think it points to ex an, an expensive exploration of what we understand uh, from speaking voices. I think uh, I'm very interested in the second question, if forms of speech or what speaks uh, are not limited to human body, mediums for verbal language, or auditory limits of hearing, in what other forms can one speak with a physical and cultural environment? So I will leave you with that question. Thank you. Okay, uh, I'm next. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you very much uh, to the Trinity Long Room Hub for the invitation uh, to join uh, this webinar and giving me a chance uh, to talk about our project. Uh, the project that I want to share with you tonight is the result of a few years of research that my supervisor, Professor John Driver, initially started in 2008 when he found out about some historical sound recordings of London uh, urban soundscape dating back to 1928. And uh, at the time, he decided to research more about the history and background of these recordings. Uh, this September, 
together with other two researchers, uh, Aishigul Ildirim, a PhD student at Goldsmiths, and uh, Carmen Rosas, a PhD student at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, we developed and published a website to share with the public these historical recordings and more recent ones, recorded in exactly the same locations of the 1928 ones, uh, and we added some commentary and analysis of the sounds that we can hear and how these have changed across the century. Uh, this effectively works uh, like a soundscape time machine that allows the listener to orally navigate through space and time. The website can be reached at the address londonstreetnoises.co.uk. Our purpose is to invite uh, members of the public to think critically and imaginatively about the sonic environment in which we live. The past and present soundscapes exemplify some of the many possibilities of how one particular location can sound like and forces us to think about how it might evolve and we hope that this can contribute to more supportive future urban soundscapes, especially through redesign by participative approaches. Uh, let me show you now a few sections of the website in real time through screen sharing. So this is the uh, homepage of our website, London Street Noises. On the homepage, the uh, map with some historical recordings and recent recordings can be directly accessed. For example, by clicking on this pin on the map, I will have uh, Beach and Place uh, recordings on the right, and I can select uh, uh, the specific uh, uh, recording in time that I want to listen of Beach and Place. So the first would be the oldest one, 1928, and we'll now listen to a few uh, minutes. This record is being taken in Beecham Place, a side street off Brampton Road, at midday on Thursday, the 20th of September, 1928. Three taxis have just gone by. There is now a lull. Two private cars are just coming up. Quite a lot of motor cars and heavy lorries come down these side streets. in the hope of escaping the congestion of the main streets and so speeding up their progress. That is a boy whistling on the opposite pavement. A horse van is coming up and a motor lorry trying to overtake it. So as you can see first, there is a commentary by Commander Daniel, who was hired by the Daily Mail, uh, who uh, ran this campaign at the time uh, to uh, do the recordings and uh, 
provides uh, uh, some uh, insight about which sound sources were producing the sound that uh, uh, the listener uh, would then uh, uh, be able to hear in these recordings. Um, we can definitely hear some uh, sounds which are no longer very common in London, like the sound of horses and uh, the uh, sound of the um, uh, lorries and uh, trucks uh, is also different, both because at the time there were still steam engines in use and because some uh, vehicles still had uh, wooden uh, wheels uh, without uh, the pneumatic uh, tire that is uh, uh, common nowadays. Um, let me now play uh, another recording of the same place, which was uh, done in 2018 by uh, John Driver, uh, standing uh, in exactly the same location where the microphone was originally placed uh, in 1928. But this is a 2018 recording. So, of course, the uh, quality is much higher because of the equipment used uh, uh, in 2018. Um, and it's interesting also to note uh, some new sounds like mopeds that uh, were not uh, uh, in, uh, in use uh, in 1928. Um, and uh, I now want to uh, provide uh, uh, as a contrast, uh, the last recording that uh, we did in May 2020, so in uh, uh, just before the lockdown was lifted. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, Bicham Place was quite deserted and was, there was very little traffic.
So I've just skipped uh, forward this track because something that is uh, peculiar of this track is that uh, feral parakeets are audible uh, since the noise floor is so low. And uh, uh, something which is common also to other of the recordings that we took uh, during lockdown in the same places of the 1928 uh, um, recordings is that some uh, pigeons, uh, feral parakeets, crows, magpies are uh, audible because the, they are not masked by the traffic noise. Uh, they've probably always been there, but we just don't notice them because uh, of the amount of uh, noise that is completely overwhelming uh, the wildlife uh, in most cities. Uh, I will briefly guide you through some of the other sections of the website. Uh, in locations, there is an analysis uh, and more pictures of every single um, uh, location in London. Then we have um, in the behind the sounds uh, uh, section both uh, more information about the recording process that for 1928 was really uh, challenging for the technology of the time and uh, some history about the Daily Mail campaign and Commander Daniel's history and uh, a comparative analysis uh, of the different sounds that uh, is possible to hear uh, across uh, the time in these locations. Uh, we also uh, have hosted some events uh, uh, in terms of online presentations of the project and some uh, sandwalks, both physical and uh, uh, armchair sandwalks uh, because of lockdown restrictions, so uh, as a Zoom meeting. And in about, you can find more about uh, the project and uh, the team behind the project uh, and uh, the um, we also show you a few of the original uh, uh, shellac discs that were uh, produced by uh, Columbia Graphophone for the Daily Mail campaign at the time. Uh, and uh, again, it's, uh, uh, it's really uh, astonishing what we managed to uh, retrieve from these discs uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, insight about the soundscape of the time. Uh, I will now uh, stop uh, sharing and uh, thank you all for uh, listening. And uh, I will also um, uh, put uh, in the chat the link to another uh, amazing project by uh, Ian Rose and his uh, um, London Sound Survey website that contains uh, many sounds and recordings of London past and present. And uh, I also invite you to check it out because it's, uh, uh, it's very interesting and thorough, uh, although with a different approach from uh, our sort of uh, historical analysis, which is instead focusing on a smaller number of locations, but um, trying to do more comparative analysis. Uh, thank you. Hello, I guess it's my turn. Hello, everybody. And thanks for the invitation to take part in such a fascinating seminar series. So let me share my screen. Um, and the sound. And so I'm here to talk to you about 
the ABER project, the ABER initiative and synthetic voices for the Irish language. It's a little bit different to what we've been hearing about so far this evening. I thought I'd hand over to the voices to do the initial greetings for me. So you should hear now three different voices, one for each of the three main dialects of Irish. Let's hope this works. And Jasmine Shaw knocked the Lord to leave Fiener Godibra. Gromila Ma Agui Asan Gude. Very. Tasha Gahal and Yavelip Franona. Emedic kindly Fiener so I hope you heard those. I hope soon they'll be giving the full talk for me. <laughs> um, but for you to be able to hear or to listen to these voices, essentially, we've been doing a lot of looking at them. Well, looking at recordings, looking at the corpora that we have gathered, a lot of analysis and preparation. So a lot going on under the hood as such, um, a lot of phonetic and linguistic components that need to sit together. And of course, various different speech engines then that we're experimenting with. And these is really state-of-the-art things are moving and developing all the time in this field. But tonight, I think we'll focus much more on the applications and what we're doing with these voices. So this newly developed speech technology for Irish and talk a little bit about the Irish context. So very briefly, just to give you a little bit of background, the Aber Initiative, it's an ongoing project that began as a European project. And it's really Professor Alvini Hasade who has led the development of this project since the very beginning. We're looking now to have funding from the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwelthacht, Sports and the Media. So I'll have to get my tongue around that. Um, and it's been great to work with them in the last while. So we're located in the phonetics and speech lab. In normal times, we're in the arts building and we have a great mix of researchers here. We have a very, a very buzzy and a very busy lab as such. Um, people with various different skills. And so in this type of work, you'll see people coming with, with a lot of different backgrounds, phoneticians, linguists, speech scientists, computational linguists, and even so some working on more fundamental research, like on the voice itself and say on, on the prosody of, of, um, of Irish English. Uh, and then within the Aber team, there'd be people working on the underpinning linguistic resources that we need. The more techie people, the engineers working on the development of the core technologies and then people interested in the applied side. As Linda said at the beginning, I'm interested in computer assisted language learning and looking at what we can do with these voices once they have been developed. So essentially we're building the speech resources, uh, the text to speech voices themselves for the dialects of Irish. And we're now expanding into other areas such as speech recognition and dialogue, but we won't have time to go into those this evening. I'll play you a video of a voice um, just so that you can hear but a little bit more, maybe you didn't get enough at the beginning there. 
um, all of what's been talked about in this seminar series in terms of language, music, there really are kindred spirits. We have all these to take into consideration and to, to get the personalities to come across in the voice. You can see in the map there the three the three Gwelthacht areas, the three where the three main dialects are spoken. Um, say um, and we have voices for each of these dialects. We have male and female for the Munster voice, for example. We've a Connacht voice and uh, a Donegal voice. I'll play you just in terms of time, we're a little short. So I'll play you a snippet with the Irish of Gwydor so you can hear uh, a poem being read, a song. Tamamihi, a cartini she's gunshkri, a sadugi gear. Tabonun tea in the life is the Michelum hain. Ten a colleague is ten seal more in the hollow of me. So I hope you could hear that. Um, it just gives a flavor of what can, one can do with these voices. To access these voices, I suppose, the first thing the Aber project did way back was to create a web page at www.aber.ie and so that anybody could access the voices. And according as more development was done, they were all added to the web page. As soon as you do this, a global community of Irish speakers emerges, really. Um, I think the latest we were looking at some of the statistics, I think more than 50% of the users are from abroad, many, many in North America. Um, I think we looked the last time there were maybe about 500,000 visits to the web page in a, in a three month period. And through that, we can really reach the public, the Irish speaking public and people, learners of the language and people who are using this type of technology. And we get plenty of feedback. We get almost daily emails from people um, interested in using the voices for many different purposes. So in general, when you think about synthetic voices and that this technology at this stage, it's ubiquitous. Everybody's familiar with Siri on their iPhone or you might be using your smart speakers now that you're at home more these days, but essentially the synthetic voices, they're, they're all over the place between GPS and lifts and et cetera. They're talking all the time, even when we're not aware of the fact that they're talking. But within the Aber initiative, it's really, we, we, we think about the Irish language context and the big win that we have is to be able to prioritize the development and the direction of the development according to the needs of our own community of Irish speakers. So two big areas that we look at, I suppose, are accessibility on the one hand and, and language learning on another. So in terms of accessibility inclusion, what the voices can do is really cross that communication gap for people who have disabilities. I'm talking here about speaking for people who have no voice. We're looking a little bit at augmentative and alternative communication devices. So for people, say you could either type or for children press pictures and a voice will speak a message out loud for you. And for those who are blind or who have a visual impairment, literacy difficulties for any reason can't read what's on the screen, screen readers are absolutely crucial. We're looking also at literacy aids for those with dyslexia, web readers, just for anybody who wants to listen to the content online instead of reading it. 
So until relatively recently, there was no access to the Irish language in the, in the digital world for people. Here is a picture of Ronan McGuirk. Ronan worked with us for two years. He, he did a master's and he worked with the Aberdeen on the development of the screen reader for Irish. Ronan is blind and you can see in the picture that he's listening to the Aber voices. Um, he's listening to Irish language text on the screen via the headphones. And at the same time, he's reading using the Lib Louis Braille reader. So um, just to mention, you know, the fact that this, this opens up a whole world for people. Um, as soon as the Aber voices were created in the first place, we were, the Aber project was kind of inundated by requests from parents of children who were effectively being debarred from the Irish language education system because the resources weren't available for them and they were being advised not to use, not to study Irish, not to do Irish in school. People in Gwelthacht areas, so where Irish speaking communities were advised to go to schools outside of their own area, etc, etc. So for the first time, with this technology now, um, it's, it's, it's crucial, it's critical in terms of inclusion. The second big area I wanted to just give you a flavour of in the, in the short talk I have here tonight was the language learning side of things. Um, three applications now, it would take me a long time to explain each of these applications in detail, but what we're working on for language learners so London Leon, very briefly, is for young children, teaching the sounds of Irish to pre-literate children. This is just to show you, these are really being developed to proof of concept level so far, even though we'd like to bring them further. Um, but to give you a flavor of the potential of these voices and how to use them in language learning contexts. So um, London Leon, as I said, was for, for teaching the sounds to young children. Pygene then is a chatty monkey, an interactive monkey. And if we're looking as, at languages communication and we need, we need to give learners um, an opportunity to interact and if native speakers aren't available to them, we'll see what we can do with the computer um, sort of a, a semblance of genuine communication. And then a third platform for more advanced learners would be Unscaly or the storytelling and that's teaching kind of proficiency through reading and storytelling. The aim with all of these really is, is contextualized, repetitive, compelling interactive materials and having the voice, bringing, bringing the spoken language center stage is essentially the whole uh, goal. So with London Leon, instead of, uh, it would take a long time to explain everything that's inside it, but I will um, play a video and hope that you'll get the gist of what's involved. It's an app, a learn, an early literacy app, promoting phonological awareness. In this snippet, you'll hear the fact that there's loads of music being composed for it. It's, um, in this particular snippet, you'll see actually the, the consonant L and the, the contrast between the broad and slender L in Irish, if you know about it, the L and the L. So you see in the name of the game, Loan the Loan, it has that contrast in it. And what we're trying to do is trying to subliminally get this message across with music and with stories and with lots of little ditties that are full of examples of this contrast. So I'll play it for you. Um, so it's a game. And you'll hear in this particular snippet pre-recorded voices, but their synthetic voices become important in the games when the children start composing their own material. Dar the deal on Lauren, best for the 
Erker a leon leashkul in a lee or a tray is a lopi. So you get the idea there. Children's voices, lots of examples of loan and leon, shilin and leon, gramisha alone, etc. Um, so plenty of, of reinforcement there. I'll move on to Taigin, um, which is for slightly older, say high primary school or second level students, really seeing as they need to be able to type at this stage until we have speech recognition developed for Irish. Um, I'll play you the video. Again, just think of a context where you don't have any interlocutor, you don't have anybody to practice Irish with. So here people can talk to this cheeky monkey and get responses as the input from the learner is unpredictable. Um, the synthetic voices are absolutely necessary for this. You can do it without them. So the learner can type in NASA. Etc. So you get the idea there. You can type in um, your side of the of the story um, to to the monkey. The third application then, just to give you an idea, is called Unskeli or the storyteller, and it's an intelligent computer-assisted language learning platform and it focuses on more advanced literacy skills. So improving the four skills really, but what's really crucial is to, to look at the speech output and linking the pronunciation and the written forms all the time so that these connections are being reinforced for learners. Um, you can check it out yourself at that, at that address, aber.ie forward slash Shaley, or Storyteller in Irish. But just to give you a quick idea, you can sign up, you have your own account, and there's little descriptions there about, about the background, etc. Um, so learners are invited to compose their own stories. And in doing so, so the, the practicing of the writing is crucial. Um, once they have a story written, they can use the corrective feedback features. Some people have great Irish on their ear, but aren't just careful in writing. So since the synthetic voices read out exactly what you have written, you very often pick up a lot of mistakes on your ear. And so you can self-correct then. Uh, there are also grammar checkers inbuilt, spelling and grammar, and some broad and slender checkers, some specially developed checkers that we have ourselves. So you'll see here, Muntor is spelled wrong, the, the, the I is missing. And so that type of thing is highlighted in the text. So visual, visual reinforcement there, and people can correct their own texts. As part under Unschgele, you'll also find some of the Lara material. This is a collaboration with a collector project in Geneva. But we're trying to, from plain text, develop some rich multimodal content. And so in this example, for example, you can see quickly, um, either learners can take as much or as little as they like from this in a sense, 
they can um they can just listen to the story with synthetic voices reading them aloud or they can access much more detailed grammatical information so if you click on honic there um, where the pink arrow is, it opens up another window on the same screen, which tells you that it comes from the lemma tar and gives you plenty of examples of tar and all the tenses in this story, etc, etc. So back to the bigger picture and just thinking about the synthetic voices and their potential. I hope just from the very brief overview of this big project that you get an idea that it's really about much more than the technology. Um, we've been invited to speak at endangered language conferences and fora. People are interested in this kind of work. Um, and our goal has been all the time of taking the, the voice, taking all this background research out of the lab into technologies and then having a, it can have a big impact on the language situation. So the web page, for example, the public usage, the accessibility side of things, the language learning side of things. From a documentation and preservation point of view, this is something all endangered languages and dialects can do, they can create voices and preserve virtual speakers of the voices. And it's not enough, there's a big point there, it's not enough just to create a voice and have it in, in, in a form on a box on the shelf, but you need to have the flexibility to adapt it, to be able to modify it for the real life uses, for the particular context of the language that you're, that you're talking about. Once you do have a voice, then there are endless possibilities with it from, from um, museums to homes to healthcare to education to you can do all sorts of things once you have a good flexible voice. So if you look at language as a spoken communication system, so the technology is now allowing us to capture and to create these virtual speakers essentially. Plenty of work still to be done in the field, though lots of little oddities in what comes from the voices so far, but in terms of expressivity, in terms of voice transformation, you see why these would be needed for games and um, the characters need to speak with expression, with affect, with attitude. You need to be able to create multiple voices from a single dialect voice if possible. Um, but this is all requiring fundamental research on the voice. It's, it's, it's state-of-the-art research in the field as such. So some final thoughts there, but I think I'm definitely out of time at this stage. So I will leave you and uh, my contact details are there if anybody's interested in, um, in getting in touch about with more information. So thank you, Nasa. So um, thank you, everybody. That was fantastic. Such an amazing range of sonic stories. Um, I know we've, we've run out of time, but I'm going to try to get a small few questions in. So if people want stick with us just for a few short questions um, I, and, and thank you. I noticed that Enda, you've answered a few online. Thank you very much. And uh, I have to say, Matt, Matt Gallagher, you've been the best at asking questions. So uh, Zainab, I'm just going to give you one from Stephen Roddy. Um, and if I can ask you all, just give me a one line answer, if that's OK. So he said in the first workshop, when you reassembled the sentences, did any new prosodic features emerge? And if so, how did that change the intended meaning of the original sentence? Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. The first workshop was pretty experimental and because we were not able to uh, play 
back the reassembled voices immediately it it took place almost like a musical composition and bringing all these different audio clips together um, there were some interesting prosaic features and uh, they you know they contributed the compositional features of the of the speedscape if, if there is such a word uh, but the idea of uh, producing the original sentence, like what keeps us together, or just the articulation of the phoneme if it's the, or if it's us, for instance, right? Um, the idea was not to reproduce that intended meaning, and that actually um, uh, relates to Douglas uh, Murray's question is intelligibility of concern. I would like to briefly um, uh, respond uh, to that question as well. Uh, the short answer is no. Actually, we're interested in uh, creating, we're interested in deconstructing the semantic content of such speech because we're interested in finding the resonances between the sonic affective um, qualities of voicing and other concrete sounds. And this is, this is giving us a great opportunity to mobilize um, how we classify voices and how we hear voices and what we understand from what speaks and what speech is about. So it's, it's a rather experimental and aesthetic approach as, as Douglas uh, puts it nicely. It gives a new appreciation of the sounds of the voice and of their potential, their artistic use. It's definitely one of our concerns, but it has a larger I think social implication in terms of how we can mobilize the idea of voicing and speaking. Thanks a million for getting those two questions in. Um, Vittoria has asked a question from Mattia um, and said this project is brilliant, which it very much is. Um, oh, where did that go to? Yes. And do you plan to use the soundscapes for museums? And are there other, I think you've already put up a similar project for us to look at. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, uh, we have worked uh, in collaboration with the Museum of London, uh, uh, who keeps the original Sherlock discs of the uh, London Street Noises uh, Daily Mail campaign, and with whom we may organize some uh, uh, events in the future. Uh, but we're also thinking about using this material for an exhibition in London uh, as soon as it's safe to do so. Uh, in terms of other projects, uh, yes, I'll post some links uh, in the chat. Uh, Ian uh, Rose uh, Sound Survey is a great resource, and there are also other uh, which focus more on the quiet and the tranquil side of uh, uh, urban soundscapes that I will post in a minute. Thanks, Thanks a million. Um, I'll thank Enda again for answering everything so efficiently uh, digitally. And just one last question then we'll take uh, for NASA. Um, and you see it there, synthetic speech like Siri or Alexa benefited hugely from machine learning applications to create more natural voice sounds. Are, are the training sets of Irish language speech readily available for similar applications? Unfortunately not. That's the advantage of the major world languages is the big data being available and that's what we don't have for Irish. And so this, this, the short answer is we're, we're all the time gathering data, um, but we, we don't have anything available like they do in the major world languages. It's, you've made huge progress though it's 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 fascinating so I, I am going to draw to a close I'm sure people would would happily sit here and ask more questions all evening I I really want to thank the panelists again thank Enda thank NASA thank Mattia thank Zainab it was really really interesting um special thanks again to Jennifer O'Mara Dr Jennifer O'Mara who put a huge I think putting you all together and hearing these different things really worked for me and I'm sure for 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 many listening as well 
And I'd also like to thank uh, Francesca O'Rafferty, who has been keeping this all going in the background. Um, and uh, without her and the Trinity Longroom Hub and uh, Aoife King, we wouldn't be able to run this. So uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. Um, there's a few more questions in there if anybody wants to type before we, 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 uh, we end. And thank you very much to the audience as well for attending. And uh, we look forward to having further discussions down the line. Thank you. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures. Stamping provenance Languages towards the history of the Time of the Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the community created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. The rise of feminism. Here's to the next 10 years.